From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast, and it is a, uh, I don't know what type of edition it is, if it's like almost like an after-death edition of uh, of uh, the Hoist the Colors ECU Baseball Roundtable, also known as the Bucks on the Pond podcast, as dubbed by Scott Lorbacher. Guys, we got to break down a tough, tough weekend on the diamond as the Pirates arguably play their their worst series, I guess you could say since the Bryant series last year, but really all around probably their worst series in the year's first time being swept in five years in American Athletic Conference plays. Wichita State takes it to ECU. I'm Stephen Igo, the host of the podcast, the publisher of Voice the Colors. I'm joined, as always, on Monday nights by Scott Lorbatcher and Jonathan Wagner of On3 Sports. And... As always, guys, like, share, comment, subscribe. Do it to the Hoist the Colors YouTube page. Like us on Facebook. Share us. Comment. All that helps our live stream. We're continuing to grow each and every week. Drop your comments in the comment section. We'll answer it throughout the show. As always, we'll kind of have you guys help carry the show. And I have a feeling where this one might be going. But let's get into it, guys. I mean, the theme of this podcast is what in the world happened in Wichita? I don't really know if there's a easy explanation. And so we can each maybe take a stab at it. There were travel issues going out. The ECU baseball team beat Charlotte on Wednesday. They stayed in Charlotte, got up Thursday, flew to Dallas, missed their connecting flight to Wichita, had to bus five and a half hours to Kansas, didn't have their equipment, had to postpone the Friday game into Saturday. And it just seemed like it never was ECU's trip. So as far as the baseball on the field, let's start with Jonathan. What did you see uh, other than bad baseball? Can you can you, can you you put a finger on it at all? No, I don't think I can put a finger on it because I think it was – the struggles were really in every area of the game. The starting pitching for the first time looked human in a long time. The bullpen looked human. And the hitting looked completely lost all around, to be completely frank with you. And it's, I think, so so many times this season, when the starting pitching hasn't been dominant, that's those are the games that the bats have been there to win, those games against NC State in midweek, or vice versa. When the bats haven't been there, the starting pitching has been pretty much elite and perfect. And this week we saw what happens when neither is on. And it was frustrating. It's I've been talking about concerns about – playing on the road for weeks now. And I think we saw those really illustrated this weekend. So it 
yeah, the pitching wasn't good. The hitting wasn't good. It, and you can maybe chalk it up to the travel issues and just the week starting as a whole, just kind of getting off to a disastrous start. But in the end, ECU just showed up and they weren't ready to play baseball, it didn't look like. And Wichita State handed it to them. Wichita State's a good hitting club, and we saw that right out of the gates. And I think right now it puts ECU in a position to where now you enter a really pivotal stretch of your season because I think this week you you have to get back on track. But, yeah, everything was bad to watch. I'm sure it was frustrating to play, and the players are pissed too. I know that. But just frustrating all around and really came at a – poor time because I don't think anybody really expected it, at least not in this type of fashion. Yeah, I mean, I I think you could have made an argument going in. Maybe ECU loses this hard-fought series on the road. It's going to be cold. It's it's not going to be good weather. Wichita historically plays ECU tough, but I mean, it wasn't like the games were not even really competitive outside of the start of, of Sunday and then, you know, times on at times on Saturday, the nightcap. So, Look, give Wichita State credit. They were dominant. Um, they've got good starting pitching. They've got good hitters at the top of the lineup. ECU did not get into the bullpen at all. They didn't get the guys out at the top of the lineup enough, and Wichita played much better. So, Scott, we'll get your take as well. I don't want to let you go the whole podcast without talking. So, let's hear your uh, take. Want to say congrats to you on your uh, announcement today. Um, Appreciate it. Joining 94.3 the game. That's going to be really great for, for everyone. Um, but yeah, it looked like we got off the bus expecting to win. Um, we thought Wichita would lay down. And, you know, that's a really proud program. The 1989 College World Series champions, led by Joey Carter, who went on to fame with the, the Blue Jays. But, um, you know, they have a, a guy in Mike Pelfrey who pitched in the MLB um, as their pitching coach. They had Eric Wedge as their head coach um, going into the year. and um, It looks like they're gelling under the, their new guy whose name escapes me right now. But, you know, Wichita State's a, they're a program that has produced major league talent. Um, they had the guy that I uh, can't think of his name now, but he plays for the Phillies um, that no. kind of torched us a couple years ago. And they're not a team that's just going to lay down and let us win. And they used their um, their field to their advantage. You know, they hit hard balls on the ground that, you know, we don't, we don't play a lot on turf. We haven't played well on turf all year. Um, and we didn't we didn't adjust to, to, you know, them just slapping the ball through a lot of the times, you know, especially on, um, on Friday, or excuse me, Saturday. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's a series. We, you you'd have liked to have gotten one. Um, and I think if we had gotten one, we'd all feel a lot better. You know, it's like we ran into a team in a cold weather that's got some talent and we lost, but that's not what happened. We got swept. We weren't alone. Um, I think nine teams in the top 25 got swept this week. Um, halfway through the conference season, we're still in position to win a conference championship. We do now need Wichita or Houston to stumble going forward. But everything we want to do is still right there in front of us. A top eight seed, a top 16 seed is still in front of us. Conference championship is still in front of us. 40-plus wins is still in front of us. So it's a bad week, but it's only three games. And at the end of the day, we still have a resume of 53 other games to put together. So, yes, this weekend wasn't really acceptable, but it's three games. Scott, I just want to add that 45 and 11 is still on the table. still in place. (laughs) 
And if you look at our record in our last 16 games last year, then we would awesome. have been we would have been fine. So I mean, that's the thing is, and we'll get into this a little bit more, big picture. Like, you know, it's our job to sit here and react to it as, you know, as, as media members and as fans. And we can only react to, to what we saw most recently. But we do have to keep the large picture in mind. I mean, ECU is still 29 and 11. They are still a top 15 RPI team as of tonight. Uh, they are still a top 12 team as of D1 baseball. So, I mean, the, the world did not end. The season did not end. Hosting chances did not end. Top eight seeds took a massive hit, but they did not end. So we'll get into all that. Um, I do want to touch on this series a little bit more, just <laughs> trying to, like, diagnose it um, as much, as painful as it is. And we'll get into to you guys' questions again. Keep dropping those. We'll hit on the Wichita State specific questions here uh, shortly, and then we'll move into kind of big picture stuff as we move forward. Um, Cliff Godwin was on 94.3, the game earlier today on the Patrick Johnson show, and said, you know, playing on the turf kind of exposed ECU's weaknesses a little bit. And I, I think, you know, we've kind of alluded to the fact the ECU defense does not have the range – of past defenses uh, at ECU. And I'm not saying that if Zach Agnos or Ryder Giles were playing shortstop or whoever was playing the middle infield, they were going to get to every one of those balls. But it did feel like so many slow rollers, and I guess not slow rollers because it is turf, but so many routine ground balls, whether it be the shift, whether it be players, they found their way through. In Wichita, they, they hit the ball hard a number of times, but there were, you know, for the first couple of games, ECU hit the ball probably as hard on a few occasions as Wichita did, but for whatever reason, Wichita was in the right spot. ECU was not. So what did y'all notice there? What do y'all make of those comments uh, from, from Coach Godwin? We'll start with Scott. I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, we talked about it earlier. Wichita State was able to – a lot of their hits were just balls on the ground that got through the infield where we just weren't in position to make a play, um, you know, Balls that on grass and dirt would have slowed down enough to where Starling or Barini would have likely gotten to them and maybe had a chance to make a play. And then at the plate, it seemed like once we got down, we got really passive. A lot of our hits were, you know, obviously they're full swings, but they didn't feel like guys were taking, you know, real hacks at it. It's just like we're trying to get it in play. And we do hit it hard. It seems like it's going right at somebody. Um, you know, and we talked about this with UCF in the first game, um, how getting to a bullpen early in a doubleheader, how much it can affect, like, the team mentally that you're playing against. And I felt like when we had to go to our bullpen in the second inning of the first game, it it just kind of got us completely off on the wrong foot. Uh, Jonathan, uh, when you look at this, this offense, I mean, that's the thing about the series is, like, Every phase was was poor. Like the the pitching probably wasn't as poor as the hitting. I mean, ECU only scored three runs. They uh, in three games. We we've seen ECU put up you know six, seven, eight runs in an inning before, and they just could not string anything together. The, the thing that I took away the most is yes, Wichita has really good starting pitching, but the thing that worried me going into the series is none of their starters walk people. Like, obviously, they have the walk here or there, but so much of ECU's offensive game is patience, getting guys on base, slash bunting, hitting and running, and there were no free passes in the opener. 
There were only five for the entire series, which spread over 27 innings is very few. We've seen teams walk five ECU players in one inning. So what did you make of just the offensive approach and uh, what worked, what didn't work? Yeah, I think that's a that's a really good point. And I think sometimes when, you know, ECU's offense is doing what it does and you're getting guys on base, you're putting guys in motion, <clears throat> you know, it, it doesn't always work. And I think a lot of times when, say, you call for a hit and run and the ball, the plate's not hit and the guy gets thrown out at second and everyone throws up their arms and says, oh, what the hell are we doing? But then I think a weekend like this illustrates why that's ECU's game. And again, like you said, ECU, they didn't get guys on base. They didn't walk. They, I don't really think – and I only, I wasn't able to watch the entire series, at least on Saturday, the second game. But it didn't feel like, you know, we weren't going deep into counts like we usually do. We weren't working counts like we usually do. We just I think we look completely lost, to be completely honest. And it was frustrating. And it's something we've all talked about for a while. It's This offense is a little inconsistent at times. And, you know – I'm not going to narrow it down to specific guys because I don't think you can, especially in a weekend like this, because it really was one through nine. I don't think there's one person in the lineup this weekend that really is excused from these frustrations. And, you know, Jacob Jenkins Cowart returned to the lineup. You saw some different combinations. So, you know, figuring some stuff out there. But overall, yeah, it's ECU didn't get guys on base and, they didn't respond to that adversity. And that was the most frustrating part to me because guess what? When you get into the postseason, when you get later in the stretch run of a baseball season, it's not always going to go your way. And it's about how you respond. And this weekend, ECU didn't respond. Can you all remember a series where ECU only saw one reliever over three games? No, I can't think of any series. No, period. Not even, I mean, not, not, even, not just ECU. Game like midweek series where we only saw, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just that that boggles my mind, which I was texting Corey Glore earlier, and he was saying when Tulane played Wichita, he was extremely impressed because of their starting pitching, because of their bats. And he said the bullpen is a weakness. And we didn't get a chance to see that because uh, their, their starters were so dominant. On that note, Johnny Richardson, this is an amazing stat. Wichita State pitchers had 19 innings out of 27 where they threw 14 or less pitches. He says that includes a five-pitch inning, two seven-pitch innings, and two eight-pitch innings. So, again, this is twofold. Like you have to give their guys credit. If they're throwing strikes, if you're ECU, if you can't draw walks, if you're taking a bunch of pitches, you're going to be down and count. So you almost have to string together some hits, put some pressure on them, we saw too often, too, you know, weak contact. Um, and I thought, too, and I'm not trying to make excuses, but Wichita pitched low and away to ECU's lefties throughout the series. The wind was blowing out at times to right field, blowing in to left field and center. And their guys executed. ECU did not. I, I thought that they did not try to go opposite field enough. Uh, they got a little too pool happy. And – also, uh, Wichita had had a great scattering port. They seemingly were in the right spot when ECU did hit the ball hard. Um, but then the umpires were giving consistently six inches off the plate, low and away to left-handed hitters, especially on Saturday. And I thought that played into Wichita State strength. But you mentioned it, Scott. Mike Pelfrey, you know, you look at the last four games with him as pitching coach at Wichita. Uh, they shut out ECU in the finale last year. Cameron Vi did. Clearly – 
whatever he's preaching is working against ECU. And, and the Pirates, at some point, are going to have to find an answer for it. And, and teams will see what they saw this weekend on, on the scouting report and, and try to replicate it, which isn't easy, but uh, certainly I think it's something they can try to copy. For sure. Um, another thing I thought, you know, not having Nowak and Riley Johnson get more bats this weekend, that where they could just slap it the other way once it became obvious that that's, that was the game plan. And we just kept trying to pull low and away pitches that were sometimes off the plate but being called strikes. I think Moylan had a really tough weekend. We've talked about it before about how good Moylan is uh, at identifying what's a strike and what's a ball. Well, if the umpire has a different identification for what's a strike and what's a ball, you have to adjust. And and I don't know that he always does a great job with that. And I think it does – you know, it's it's hard to, to, to blame him for not wanting to swing outside of the strike zone. Um but when, when you get to two strikes, you do have to change your approach if you're Josh Moylan and start maybe, you know, found those pitches off, taking them the other way, just doing whatever you can to extend the bat. And and like Johnny pointed out, we didn't extend at bats all weekend. They they were throwing strikes. I think like 80% of uh, Tolley's pitches were strikes. So if you're not going to foul them off and you're just going to have weak contact, you know, obviously if he's throwing strikes, you want to swing at strikes, but you also don't want to swing at the first pitch of every at bat and then end up with the you know like the five pitch innings we had, and so we were really kind of between a rock and a hard place because we swung at strikes, but when we did swing at strikes, they were either hit hard at somebody or soft in places where somebody was going to catch it. Yeah, it was just the perfect. It was just the perfect storm. I mean, it was just uh, nothing went right. Like there were a few balls that ECU crushed the center field. And I was like, man, that ball might have a shot to go. And it just like <laughs> the center fielder like barely moved off the W and caught the ball because uh, the wind was just howling in. So I don't know, man. I mean, I do think Wichita is is like watching them, and I, I didn't see it live, but watching them on TV, again, we didn't see the bullpen, but like position player-wise, starting-wise, to me they're easily the second-best team in this league. Maybe they're the best. I mean, they clearly were better in ECU this, this past weekend. Certainly, collegiate baseball thinks that uh, Wichita State is better. Um, by the way, the only uh, entity to have a worse weekend than ECU baseball was collegiate baseball. Um, <laughs> they somehow dropped ECU out of the top 30. They ranked Wichita 25th. They have uh, Coastal. What do they have, Coastal? Like 28th? I think they were 28th. They were like barely in, despite beating Southern Miss pretty handedly in the first yeah. two games of that series. Cal State, State Fullerton is 5th. I mean, that guy just needs to, gosh, what a freaking joke, man. That whole entity is just, I can't believe we, I can't believe, you know, I blame myself for even bringing it up and giving it any acknowledgement. I'm part uh, of the problem. I appreciate you not choosing the Reds as the only entity to have a worse weekend than the Pirates. Um, They are off their losing streak. Everyone can relax. They have won their eighth game, so good news. Things are looking up. They're still doubling up the A's in terms of wins, so. <laughs> and maybe the Nats, too. Hey, the Nats won a series this past weekend. And also, okay. for the second consecutive Monday, the Nationals will not lose a game <laughs> because they are not in action. The Mariners will also not lose tonight. By the way, shout out Alec Burleson. Um Two hits off Luis Castillo on Saturday. Cardinals took that L. Friday, he had a hit off, I think, a Mariners reliever. 
Uh, Cardinals also took that L, so they lost the series. But Alec Burleson had a good weekend, so good for him. Um, and good for the the Mariners. Go, go M's. The fight to 500 continues. Um, all right, let's get into some of these questions, guys. I do want to talk a little bit later about big picture. You know, is this – you know, is this a sign of things to come? That sort of stuff. But I want to get to these comments again. Drop them in the comment section. Like us uh, on YouTube, Facebook, etc. All right. Uh, John brings up the point that Hibbs, Lauren Hibbs, coached at Charlotte previously. He's the interim coach for Wichita State. He was prepared for ECU, no doubt. So yeah, I'm sure he was fired up. Um, I think ECU had beaten them pretty good when he was the coach there uh, before Water took over, so I'm sure he was fired up. Um, Shockers played good D, not allowing any breaks. Yeah, I mean, they had like one play that I can recall where the pitcher just dropped the ball, but outside of that, they seemed to make every play. And that, that's one of those things too, guys, like when it's not going your way and they make a diving catch or you hit, you continue to hit the ball hard right at people, human nature, Jonathan, is to say, well, this isn't our weekend. It's very tough to overcome that after a while. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what you can say. You can say it's not our weekend, and that's true. The sky is not falling. And, again, we'll get into the big picture stuff later, but sometimes, that, sometimes that's just how it goes. And ECU came and they didn't play well, and Wichita State beat the crap out of them. And, you know, I don't want to keep saying that's baseball, but sometimes that's going to happen, especially on a weekend like that on the road. Again, it was cold. We've talked about all this stuff time and time again. But, yeah, I mean, I think you have to give credit to Wichita State. And you can we can, we can talk all we want to about, oh, ECU's pitching wasn't good, ECU's hitting wasn't good, ECU's defense wasn't good. But in the end, Wichita State showed up and pitched well. Wichita State showed up and hit the crap out of the ball. Wichita State played good defense. Base, every, well, not base running. That's the one thing they didn't do well because Justin Wilcoxon had a cannon, and somebody mentioned that in the comments too. But, it, yeah, sometimes that's just how it goes. Wichita State played pretty much perfect weekend, and that's what they had to do. And they took advantage of it, and ECU didn't respond, and you just hope they can next time. Uh, JPN1212 says, it's y'all fault for picking him to win the series. <laughs> I guess it's uh, – It's a good point. I guess we'll take the blame for this one. I went 2-2 two and two this week. So. Yeah, so you were probably feeling pretty good after Saturday. You were yeah, like, like "Full we'll rebound, we'll win mm-hmm. Sunday," and I'll look smart. And then <laughs> somehow did worse than two and two. <laughs> I don't think I've gotten a week right yet. Obviously, I'll go two and two. So surely, like if we don't if we don't go two and two, it'll be positive news. But and here we are. That's my bad. Yeah, we'll all take the. I'll tell you what, like a weekend like that, everybody's. Everybody has to step up and take some sort of blame. Like we probably did a crappy job on the podcast last week. We <laughs> we uh, that bled into the players' performance. So like we'll be super critical this week and motivate the guys. How about that? Oh yeah. Um, Luke Dover. Speaking of being critical, what is our weakest link? Great question. Who is the weakest link? Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> that was terrible. All right. Um. <sighs> I don't know. I mean, to me, I'm kind of to- toying between uh, defensive consistency and like hitting consistency just because 
you know, the obvious is road woes as I'm kicking this around in my, in my brain right now. But I, I just feel like, and I don't know if there's like a true weak link on the team. I think it's more just maybe some of the team is not up to par as to what we've seen in the past from great ECU baseball teams. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'll sit on this one for a little longer and I'll let y'all try and figure it out. We'll start with Scott. Do you, you feel like there's a weakest link, a clear weak link uh, on your end? Yeah, I think it's a lack of consistent right-handed hitting. Uh, I think That's it becomes fair. becomes obvious at times that if you have a guy like Tolly whose numbers are really, really good um, against lefties uh, and Starling is is not currently, you know, he, he's kind of a hot and cold guy and he's been that way. And I don't, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because when he gets hot, he's really, really good. Obviously, Amax had some struggles this year and hasn't been able to bat right-handed for the whole season. Um, Barini, despite being listed as a, a switch hitter, has not yet hit right-handed this season, which is kind of hilarious to watch them throw that S beside his name every week and then him just not hit from the right side. But, um, yeah, I think I think uh, Zach Agnos um, in this lineup would change the way that teams have to, to pitch against us pretty significantly. Um, yeah, so right-handed hit. I think it's a great point. Honestly, like I've thought about it. I, I've just accepted the fact this team doesn't have any right-handed hitting. So I don't even think about it at this point. Like it's just like part of the fabric of the team, but no, that's a great point because totally was dominant and really just seemed so long. And when you can't even give him a different look, but two times through, you know, that just lets him get into such a rhythm. Um, Jonathan, your any thoughts here? Yeah, I think that's that's probably the number one in my mind as well. But I'm going to stick with the hitting theme, and I'm just going to go just – to me, it's it's a lack of ability to kind of adjust when things aren't going your way on offense. It's something – we've seen it at times, and sometimes ECU's offense is great, and they come out and everything I'm saying right now is wrong. And But there's oftentimes that is not the case. Like we saw this weekend, things didn't go ECU's way. The first guy, Peyton Toll, how do you say his name – he came out, he pitched a hell of a ball game. And sometimes a guy like Trey Savage is going to go out and shut down a lineup. And that's not always because a lineup just sucks. That's because Trey Savage is good. Peyton Toll is good. And it's, but it's just never, it never turned around. And to me that it's something we've, we've talked about it before. So that's why I think you can qualify it as a weakest linked because it's happened. It's come up before it's come up time and time again. And you know, this team this team doesn't have as much true power in its lineup either. And I think that's a very a big difference compared to previous teams. You know, you don't have a guy who's gonna go and hit 20 homers pretty much guaranteed. And it's really split throughout the lineup. I think this is more of a, a doubles power type of team when you look at it that way. JJC has power more than has power, but I wouldn't really qualify them at this point how they played the season as a true power home run hitter. And a lot of times that's we talk about, you know, guys getting on base and moving guys. A lot of times in previous years, you have that guy in the middle of the order that can come and clear, clear them with a the, with the long shot. You don't have that. So the offense just looks different. I think the offense looks lost at times. So to me, that I, I think that has to be it. However you look at the offense, I think that's my answer. Yeah, inconsistency uh, just across the board, but definitely away from home. And maybe, you know, I don't know how much of that is due to, you know, clearly 
mental mindset, maybe the mental makeup of the team is not where it needs to be right now. If you're if you're in an uncomfortable environment and you don't play, you know, not not only don't play your best, but don't play anywhere near to your capability, that can certainly be a perceived weakness, and that's something that ECU is going to have to get over to get to where they want to go. Um, all right, Chuck wants to know. I don't understand how we could not hit. <laughs> were we just tired? I had like three people text me, and they were just like, "Is it just me? Or does ECU look really tired?" Um, yeah, like I don't know. To me, that's kind of like a take where if a team's getting their ass kicked, like what are they supposed to do? Like be overjoyed about it? Um, <laughs> I mean. Uh, <laughs> You know, if you ground out weekly to second base, of course you're going to look tired. I mean, it's a crappy result and then crappy at bat. So, um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe they were tired. Maybe the trip had some fatigue. I'm not going to buy that excuse. I wouldn't expect ECU to buy or to sell that excuse, but maybe it does play a role. Certainly, it's not ideal, guys. Um, I don't know, Scott. What, what do, you, do you think the trip, the the problems with it, had anything to do with their performance? I don't know. I feel like when you're 18 to 22, a five-hour bus ride is a lot different than when you're 35 like me or, you know, maybe even older than that. Maybe Cliff maybe Cliff was tired. I don't know. Um, you know, five hours on his knees is probably pretty tough at this point. But, um, no, you know, you, you, you hear a lot of talk sometimes about guys that throw heavy balls. Um, I thought that's what Wichita State did, where their pitches caused soft contact. And when you have soft contact, Maybe it looks tired. I, I don't know. Um, this, they just—it didn't look like we were attacking the way that we normally do. And maybe some of that is just due to a lot of our swings felt like defensive swings more than we knew what was coming, and that's the the pitch that we were attacking. And maybe some of that has to do with the the pitch clock. We hadn't talked about it in a long time, but you know, in past years when we got in these situations where we weren't able to really work the count you would see Cliff, you know, signal, signal in uh, much to the chagrin of some of our fans, um, you know, signals towards our hitters about maybe what's coming. I don't know what the signals are always about, but that's no longer a thing he can really do. So it's, it's a lot more on our players this year than in the past years to figure out and adjust on the fly during an at-bat. And obviously once they get into the dugout, they can, they can have those conversations, but I don't, I wouldn't say we were tired, but, um, I don't think the the travel woes helped any for sure either. Yeah, not just not an ideal trip either either way, but I, I don't think it really affected the the end result. Now VC would have played Friday night without their equipment. And, you know, maybe you can make an argument there, but I don't know. It just maybe again mental your mental mindset, maybe it messes with that more than anything. If that if that threw off the team that much, then maybe they need to assess where they are mentally. Um Speaking of setting where you are mentally, uh, Kevin says they set the tone, they being Wichita State, with that great complete game. And then it looked like ECU basically just quit hard to watch up they rebound. I don't think they quit. I, I just think Wichita was the better team. And they did set the tone. I think it had more to do with Wichita gaining confidence from that first game. Um, and credit to their their you know their coach for flipping it and going totally or toll, whatever the hell it is. Uh, in the first game, he was scheduled to go game two, and he really did set the tone. So if they went with the righty, maybe it went differently. But um, certainly set the tone. It reached a point, guys, where by game three, I was seriously wondering, like, is Wichita State, like, cheating? Because I feel like this, <laughs> I feel like this is such an 
outlier result, it's like almost like hard to believe. Like they seem to be like just every little thing. They were on every pitch. They were, um, they were positioned perfectly. Like it, it was just amazing by the end of it. But who knows? Just one of those weekends. All right. A win in Florida wants to know. I would swap Starling and Barini. Is this a bad idea? Why is this a bad idea? I don't think Starling has the the best arm strength. Just watching them play at second. Any thoughts here, um, guys? Yeah, I, I I don't like it personally. I I think you can talk about you know Barini doesn't have the best range, maybe at short, but. To me, it's Starling. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just second, but some, I haven't loved his defense this year at second base all the time. I think he's, his reaction might not always be the best. And, yeah, I agree. His arm isn't strong enough for a shortstop. I don't I don't think it's much of a, an increase in arm strength if you're making that swap. So, but it, it's interesting. But we're talking about defense. And, you know, I think in previous years, a lot of times it's been at that shortstop position or wherever – you kind of have that defensive specialist in the lineup who doesn't contribute a whole lot offensively. But, you know, now, I mean, Joey Barini, he, he said he went through a stretch where he was killing the ball. He's kind of cooled off. Of course, he came through with a big hit at times recently. But, you know, now it's kind of reversed. Joey Barini, he's been a good good hitter. He bet a cleanup once this weekend. and But, you know, his defense isn't the best. His defense isn't a reason. We're not losing because of Joey Barini's defense. Let me just say that. But. I do think – I believe Nathan Chrisman came in at one point this weekend and he made a heck of a play, at least getting to a ball at the middle. And you see his range, but then Chrisman does not have the arm, I think, to be a great shortstop in my eyes. So it's really – when you look at defensively how you shake it shake it out, really I just don't know if there is a perfect option. And But personally, Starling, he's more of a second baseman to me. I don't see him as a shortstop. I think you stick with Barini, you stick with Chrisman, and uh, – yeah, that's just which I just don't see you making. Yeah, bottom line is when Zach Agnos went pro, and then also I think it was Peyton Martin, Martin, the freshman, went pro, both those were not really expected, and that kind of put ECU in a tough spot. Um, and, you know, Parker Bird, I think he would have been more of a second baseman than shortstop, but that was another deal too. So it's just not ideal. And credit Barini. Look, Barini's been awesome this year. I think we all can agree on that. So I don't, we're not trying to take a shot at Barini. I think he's been, uh, you know, awesome and been a big part of many wins. So just, uh, kind of some thoughts there. Speaking of, we, we talk about this all the time and it, it does piss me off guys that every single road game, except for, I guess, South Florida now in the American athletic conference play, um, maybe UCF, has grass as well but either way all these teams with artificial turf wichita being another one there was a play will coxon hit the freaking ball almost said the f word hit the ball fair it hit the white line i don't care what it i don't care what they called it hit the edge of the white line should have been a fair ball they called it foul they reviewed it you can't see the chalk fly because it is a turf field um that combined with how different it plays, it's just frustrating, guys, that ECU has this great state-of-the-art field and they have to go on the road and play on all these turf fields. And I don't know, can, can anything be done about it? Can you practice on the turf field? I mean, I don't know how much that's really going to help. You know, can you go to the football practice field and just hit a bunch of ground balls? I don't know if you get this. I don't know if it's the same turf. I don't know if 
I don't know if there's an answer to it. Um, Scott, what do you think? There's also a play, I believe it was in second game. Um, I think when it was three to four, Wichita stole and um, Wilcoxon short topped a ball to second and it went into the outfield. And that, that ball was like caught by either Starling backing up the play or Marini um, 90% of the time on, on grass and dirt. So it, it affects it in all facets. Um, I think your only solution is to play more road games in turf facilities. Um, locally, that would mean going to Campbell, um, which we do. Um, going to Wake um, app, maybe. I don't know what they play on. They're, they're turf. Mountain. Yeah. Um, they, do they just play on like a rock or something? <laughs> um, and I don't know if that's something that we really want to do. Um, mm-hmm. you, can play at Holly, you can play at Holly Springs. You can play at the Salamander Stadium. I think that's turf. Um, but but other than that, you know, maybe you do a practice in Holly Springs before your your road trip to Charlotte, and then go to Wichita. You know, something like that. But uh, other than just playing at places that have turf, I don't know if there's a solution outside of sending uh, Joey and the rest of the grounds crew out to Wichita twice a year to to get their grass and dirt set up for them. <laughs> And that's the thing too. It's like not only have to, not only do you have the turf field. Some of them play differently because it's different turf. You also have some that have the turf field but a dirt mound. You have some that have a crappy turf mound. You have some that have a good turf mound. So and look, part of this is playing on the road. You know, there are teams in all conferences that have turf fields, and we're not sitting here saying like ECU only lost because of that. But it's just we talked about it. Baseball is not meant to be played on turf. Um, so it's just it's frustrating when ECU plays these games on turf and maybe the new multi-purpose indoor practice facility will allow them to get some more reps on turf, even though everybody else is going to want to use that facility as well. So uh, let's talk about a positive this weekend guy, Justin Wilcoxon. Uh, he, Wichita state continued to try and run on him and he continued to throw guys out. So I thought Wilcoxon showed why he's a true pro prospect this weekend, Wags. Yeah, absolutely. And he's a guy that, you know, we've talked about his defense. We've talked about his power. He does have a lot of raw power at the plate. And, but really, I think he's going, I think he's going to get drafted on his defense alone. And it's not just the arm. He's a good defensive catcher. He blocks a lot of balls. And I think we've talked about it before, just with the injuries this team has gone through this year. You know, I think earlier in the year, Wilcoxon got tired and he maybe wasn't as sharp as, you're seeing now, now that he's gotten off his feet a little bit, but I mean, it's, it was really no contest, you know, throwing these guys out. It was seamless, perfect delivery, perfect everything. And it was just beautiful to watch. I love watching that. And I mean, he's, yeah, he's a, he's a guy, especially with Ryan McChrystal injured again, right now, you know, Nick DeLisi hasn't gotten a shot right now. Justin Wilcoxon is kind of getting back into that, motion where he's catching every day and he hasn't worn down again yet. And his offense has been hit or miss compared to what it was earlier in the season, but he's still a guy you put him down in a nine hole. He's going to come through with a hit when you need him to. And it's really all around, but yeah, his defense was really impressive this weekend. And especially in a weekend where the rest of the defense maybe wasn't as sharp, it really stood out and it really kept ECU in the game too. 
some of those games would have been a lot more blowout in fashion without Justin Wilcox and throwing these guys out. So a lot of credit to him. Again, the sky is not completely falling. It's not just doomsday over here. Justin Wilcoxon had a good weekend, and, yeah, he deserves to be credited for that. Uh, Ryan Gupton, former ECU baseball player, also a former um, member of IGO Field uh, in the Tennis Ball League, he says uh, Next Level has a turf indoor facility, which ECU has practiced at before, so that's another option. Maybe they just need to rent out that facility as much as possible and use it. Um, but uh, it is uh, – yeah, don't want to get started on that topic again, but just making that comment. Um, Matt says, do you think we need to implement more small ball when we have trouble getting things going offensively? So, and look, I'm not picking on you, Matt, but this is like classic ECU fans. Um, we bunt too much. When you know when that doesn't work, we complain about no more slashing, no more bunting. When things aren't going well, now we complain about not bunting enough, not doing small ball enough. Um, and the other thing too is you can't really play small ball when you can't get on base. So I don't know, Scott. Any anything to add here? I like how you you passed over Matt's last name. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't even really taking <laughs> shot at that. Oh, is it Gruyere, like the cheese? I feel like right. That's, that's right. I like that. Um, no, I, I don't think we had to line up to play small ball this weekend. Um, you know, if you get more Nowak, more Riley Johnson, um, more guys like that in the lineup that can slash and, you know, bunt and the, the butcher boy play and all those kind of things, I think that, that maybe you can do that. But the lineup that we ran out there with, like, Cunningham, although I think Cunningham did have, like, a bunt single at one point, um, and uh, JJC, I, that's not really a lineup that I think is, uh, is a, of a, as a small ball lineup. Um, that being said, I wouldn't hate it. I know that there's a lot of people in our fan base that have accused Cliff of falling in love with the, the fake bunt and um, the slash play and, and that kind of stuff. But I, personally, I, I do think – Throwing a pitcher who's gotten into a really, really good rhythm off is even if it, you know, means you sacrifice an inning or two because you bunt into outs, it's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah. And there was one bunt that Hoover laid down that was like, if that was grass, it's a hit 100%. And again, turf field ball is faster. And also the second baseman, like the Rodden kid just raced over and covered the bag. Like it was the perfect bump between first and pitcher. And somehow this guy just like loops around and gets uh, Hoover. Like it was just that type of weekend, man. They were like playing like the 1960 uh, Yankees. So it's just, uh, I don't know. It, it's, I, I just think we, we always try to, and again, try to figure out why things went wrong. Do you think more small ball would work? I just think ECU just needs to hit the ball better. Um, I don't think more small ball is, is really the answer uh, at this time. I think they're doing the appropriate amount of small ball, honestly. Um, <laughs> Christian says, so what injury-wise is going on with you, Savage? Yeah, so let's talk about that situation. Um, Cliff said on 94.3, the Patrick Johnson said earlier today that Trey Savage, and he said it pregame Sunday, that Trey Savage has been dealing with some arm soreness. You know, he tried to give it a go. It doesn't sound like anything super serious. Like, I don't think he would be out there pitching if he was, you know, 
possibly having like forearm tightness and Tommy John, all those stuff that, that you look for. Um, probably just some tenderness as a result of the usage. He, I would guess, probably is going to skip a start this week um, based on Cliff's comments. You know, you never know. I don't want to speak for him, but he's bringing that up. And we talked about this last week, and Wags, you specifically brought it up. We, we, we've all been kind of worried about you Savage's workload because he was just a bullpen guy last year, and now he's he came out throwing 100-plus pitches pretty much every start. And I think some of this was a little un- inevitable, and maybe this allows ECU the chance to kind of step back and say, hey, is it really worth it right now to push you savage through this, or do we back off a little bit, give him a, a week, maybe two, to kind of get back to 100%? Yeah, I think to me that's honestly the most important storyline coming out of this weekend is Trey Savage. And, you know, yeah, I mentioned that last week. I noticed last Friday night that his velocity was more down in the, you know, 91 to 92 range, not in the 95, 96, even at the beginning of his start, or it went down a lot quicker. And then obviously, I think he was 90-91 this weekend is what they were saying. And obviously pitch clock, or not pitch clock, but the speedometer, whatever it is, it's going to fluctuate a little bit, but his velocity was down. And it's something that you have to to look beyond even this season. It's You have to prioritize Trey Savage's health. And – you know, obviously, you can. You, I can look at it and say, yeah, you need to preserve him and make sure you have him for the postseason. But first things first, you have to make sure he can make it through the season. So then you have him next year, and that he can go on to play a professional baseball career because he's a guy that will do that. And so, and obviously, the team's not going to run him out there if he's not, if they're not comfortable with what he's doing. And I, I do think it becomes an interesting situation, really, for the last. Four, there's four weekends left this season, and I'm interested to see how many of those Trey Savage's pitches. And I, I don't expect him to pitch this week. I'm not going to lie. I'd be a little angry if he pitched this weekend. And it's you have to rest him. But it, it's no joke going from being kind of a one-out guy in the bullpen last year to throwing 100-plus pitches every Friday night this season. And that's another factor, too. Pitching on Friday nights, it is a lot you know, more pressure, too. And I think that's something that might go a little underrated. And he's pitching in those moments a lot. And, yes, he pitched great. But if you don't keep Trey Savage with his velocity, he's not the same Trey Savage, I don't think. His off-speed stuff is better this year compared to what it was last year. But if Trey Savage doesn't have his fastball going like he likes to, then it's harder to move off to that off-speed stuff. And it's going to be a lot easier to kind of predict what's coming as a hitter so I do think not only just skipping starts, but when he is in there, you know, you really have to monitor what he's doing. And but you you need Trey Savage in the postseason. If you don't have Trey Savage in the postseason, I'm not nearly as confident in this team's potential to do anything. So you have to do what you can, keep him healthy. And I think you skip a start this week, you you reassess after that. It's a week to week thing. And you don't force him back. If if his arm isn't feeling great enough to pitch until the postseason, he doesn't pitch until the postseason. And you don't think twice about it. Yeah, call me crazy, but I'd I'd rather be a two seed with a healthy you savage than a one seed without you savage or you savage not as the best. So, I think you got to have him to get to to where you want to go. Um, all right, let's talk about the the hosting picture and 
you know, we'll probably do this on a weekly basis going forward, probably a month left in the season. And this is kind mm-hmm. of a big picture topic. We've got, we also got a question about top eight. So we'll kind of use this question from Kurt. He says, how much should I be hyperventilating regarding our chance to host? Uh, he's talking about top 16. And I said last week, you know, we were talking about top eight. I was like, if ECU goes out and they lose a series to Wichita, they're going to be on the hosting bubble. And I think realistically, they're probably there. It could go either way. They could rattle off four straight series wins. They could be firmly in a, as a host. They could lose another series and be firmly out as a host. So, Scott, what do you think uh, this weekend does to ECU's hosting chances, at least in the short term? And, and can they recover to even be a top eight? I think so. Um, I think there's still a path to a top eight RPI, um, which if you're in the top eight in RPI, you have a chance to be a, a national seed. Um, as far as hosting, we're still firmly in the hosting mix. I think the biggest thing for me right now when it comes to hosting is you don't want to be 14, 15, 16 because you don't want to go to LSU, South Carolina, or Wake Forest in the, in the second round um, if, if, we're, if we do make it through. I think – those top three have really separated themselves from the rest of the country as just the far and away cream of the crop in college baseball this year. I think teams ranked fourth through about 20th. Um, they're all really similar, um, you know, and maybe it could even go down further than that. Um, you look at a teams like UNC and Texas that fell out of the rankings this week. I don't think that it's insane to say that one of them could still host. Um and then also not in the rankings is Indiana. Um, Indiana is a top 15 RPI. Uh, they are a Midwest school, um, which will help. Um, they don't say that it does, but having a school where there's, um, you know, like a gap as far as the regionals go is, is a benefit to some schools. It'll help UConn. It'll help Boston College if they're on that same bubble. Um, but, but ECU still has an opportunity um, we still have some some big RPI games with UNC Campbell and NC State um, this week to to make up some ground and get back in you know that that twelfth that eight to ten RPI range. Um, but I do think the main thing that we lost this weekend was our lead on the conference. Um, winning the conference regular season and winning the conference tournament is what got us a national seed last year. Without those two things, we're not a national seed, even with the exact same resume. Um, so we got to find a way to get it back. Um, we have, what, 12 conference games left. We probably need to win 10 of them. Kind of is what it is. Yeah, I mean, I, and, you know, luckily for ECU, ECU play, or uh, Wichita plays Houston. So they're going to beat up on each other a little. And, yeah, I think 10-2 and two is, is probably what you have to go to really assure yourself a, a legit shot at the title because you can't finish tied. I guess – you can be awarded a share of the championship. And then if you win the conference tournament, you probably are still okay there, but ECU would want to win, win it outright, kind of leave no doubt. Um, the schedule is pretty favorable down the stretch. That's a positive, but again, ECU has got to go out and take care of business. Uh, Wags, where, where do you come in on the, the hosting chances and, you know, so much of the season still left, but at the same time, we're, we're starting to get to the point where, you know, you're running out of room to build your resume, and there's only so many high RPI games left, which makes Tuesday night game at NC State uh, very critical. Yeah, absolutely. You have to take advantage, and it's something we've been talking about forever, but you have to take advantage of the opportunities you do get, and you're almost out of opportunities to really get boosts. 
And to me, it, the way I look at it, and I mentioned last week, I I just started doing like a full field of 64 projection. I just kind of throw it at the wall and see what I come up with. But it's I think I would feel a lot worse. I, to me, I don't see ECU as a national seed this year. I, just, I don't think that's in the cards right now. Just pers- That's my personal opinion. I just don't think there's a path to that, a realistic path. But to me, I think you're right there. You're right there at the 9 to 10 to 11 to 12. But even even said that, saying that, you know, you look at what happened in college baseball this week. It was absolute chaos. Every team pretty much in ECU's range fell and fell via the sweep pretty much. So it, it really all depends on what other teams do. You know, ECU has to take care of business first of all. But even if ECU goes – 12 and 0 and whatever, it's still going to depend to a to a point about what other teams around ECU does. And if ECU goes 10 and 2, you're you're still gonna need help. It doesn't matter what ECU does, you know, there's a lot of baseball. There's a month left in the season. There's four weekends left. And, you know, there's a lot to be ha- you look at a team like Kentucky, you know, Kentucky is an RPI at two. And I can't tell you off the top of my head, but I know they have four tough weekend series coming up against SEC opponents. So Kentucky's a team, their RPI is high right now, but if they go and lose the next four series, they could fall out. And they're a team that a lot of people have as a top eight seed right now. And I don't, I have them a little out. I had ECU as a 13 seed in mine. And funnily enough, I had them um, paired with Vanderbilt. And so (laughs) I just, it just happened that way, you know, but, but yeah, it's, I do think ECU is still firmly in the hosting range, but if you come out this week and you lose to NC state and you go two and one against Tulane and you don't sweep, and then you come out and you don't beat Campbell, you don't beat Carolina, then I think there's a very realistic chance that your chances are done. Yeah. I think if you, if you lose those games, you're looking at a two seed. Um, Kentucky, by the way, has at Vanderbilt, South Carolina at home, who's now RPI one, um, at Tennessee, and Florida to end the year. Um, it's a gauntlet right there. Yeah, they might not make the tournament. That's how difficult the schedule is the rest of the way. You know, it's 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 interesting because right now you look at some of these teams in the ACC and SEC, and the committee in the last few years has really put an emphasis on what you do in your conference. You don't see a lot of teams from outside the SEC that make the tournament at a 500 or worse record, no matter no matter how good their conference is. Um, it kind of bit NC State last year, um, and then in the SEC, they might give you a game under 500, but not more much more than that. So, you look at NC State; they got swept at Clemson this past weekend. This this game is big for them too. Um, make no mistake about it; they need this win as much as we do, um, and I expect them to compete compete that way. Yeah, I think they play what the Citadel or somebody pretty crappy this coming weekend. So, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if you see some top arms uh, coming out of the, the NC State bullpen on Tuesday. All right, we'll run through some of these comments and questions because we're approaching ten o'clock. Uh, this is amazing to me. I don't know how Johnny comes up with this stuff. Johnny, our statistician, says completely useless stat. The 2023 Pirates have never lost when any of the following things have happened. When Justin Wilcox and Lane Hoover or Clonch have an RBI, the Pirates are 22 and up. When either Wilcox and Barini, Hoover, Amac, Cunningham, or Clonch hit a home run, the Pirates are 20 and up. 
And when the Pirates score in the second inning, they are 10 and 0. You know what I take away from that? Cam Clonch seems to be in the lineup every day. <laughs> I mean, that's a uh, that's a fair point. Clon- I think I did actually use that when the Pirates scored in the second inning. We're ten and zero, like um, two weekends ago. I think I did tell somebody that when we scored in the second inning right. against um, Cincinnati. I was like, hey, you know, we haven't lost when we scored in the second inning, so it wasn't useless to me, Johnny. I appreciate you dropping those numbers for us. Yeah, that's awesome. I feel like uh, second inning scoring is probably the the only real useful stat there because you can you know grab an early lead with this pitching staff. I think you're sitting in pretty good shape. Um, David Leak says, "What percentage strength is this team at injury wise? JJC, McChrystal, Amac, others. I think with the Savage thrown in there, I mean there's they're nowhere near a hundred percent probably." 75 percent 80 percent you got guys who are playing hurt i think will coxon's still kind of playing banged up so i don't know i think you you're just at that point in the season nobody's really healthy uh for the most part especially if you're an everyday player um we'll address this one real quick because we haven't talked about it surprisingly but uh, i think it is a fair point Kurt says, as long as I've been following ECU baseball, we have struggled to hit the ball in cold weather, but it doesn't seem to affect other teams. Teams from the north and south don't seem to struggle with it. What is y'all's opinion? Um, Scott, we, we kind of joke like when the the weather's below 55 or 60, ECU probably has like a 500 or worse record. Is, is there a reason to it other than the fact that People in Greenville, North Carolina, like warm weather over cold weather. I don't know. You know, uh, you know. I, I think it's uh, Pack the Jungle tweets out like our record with our uniforms every so often. If he does, uh, when Starling wears sleeves, what our record is, it's probably pretty <laughs> terrible. But um, yeah, I, mean, I, I think one, the ball flies out of our stadium when it's warm, uh, specifically to right, and we're often a a left-handed hitting team. Um, so that's, you know, obviously a benefit to us. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think maybe we're just more comfortable when it's warm. Maybe our Under Armour, Adidas version of Under Armour isn't comfortable, but I, I can't explain it. Um, but it, I agree. As long as I followed this team, our bats have always heated up with the weather. Um, and maybe some of that is just Cliff, right? Like, uh, he's, he is a, a great hitting coach, um, the weather warms as the season goes. So maybe, you know, a month, two months of instruction and, and work, you know, with guys is, is a reason for it. And it just looks like it has to do with the weather. Obviously this weekend we're pretty deep into the season and it was cold and we struggled. So maybe it is the weather. I don't know. Cliff Goblin doesn't care about the weather, um, <laughs> but I care about the weather. We care about the weather. And when the pirates are playing in sub 60 temperatures, it's usually not great. Um, all right, I want to address this, and then we'll wrap up the show. But I've gotten several comments, questions about the, uh, you know, the ninety four three announcement earlier today. We'll have the Hoist of Colors show coming up uh, Monday, May first. Will be our debut show on ninety four three. So download the uh, Interbanks Media app and also subscribe on YouTube and Facebook on ninety four three The Game. This podcast will continue to go on as scheduled as will our other podcasts with like Nova pirate with Brett Hickman 
nothing is changing on hoistacolors.net or with this podcast. Uh, we're just doing the show in extension to all our other content. So yeah, and, and our plan is at some point, uh, if we can work it out to get uh, the roundtable at least on 94.3 the game, especially when the you know the the, the conference tournament season, the postseason projections, all that really starts heating up. We'll kind of have like a a shorter version of the roundtable on 94.3 on Hoist the Colors. But the podcast will stay the same, so keep us locked in on your podcast channel. Keep us locked in on Hoist the Colors Facebook, Hoist the Colors YouTube, but also subscribe to the 94.3 The Game YouTube and Facebook. We're trying to build those followings. You'll see us share it multiple times on the Hoist the Colors uh, social media pages because it's pretty – you know, we've built up a pretty good following over the years, and we're trying to grow that on 94.3 The Game. But all those shows will be streamed on 94.3 The Game um, channel. This will be on Hoist the Colors, and we'll continue to roll on. So, yeah, nothing will change on that front. Um, but appreciate everybody reaching out. And, and I do want to make that show, which we are going to live stream, as interactive as possible. So just like this, we'll be doing different technology, but we'll still be able to read your comments and questions and take your calls once we're live. All right, back to the Hoisted Colors podcast. Brandon Carr says, I go, I'm not asking about the pink cup again to keep the laptop safe. <laughs> it is empty. Let me, Be uh, <laughs> Are you sure? Yep. You thought the same thing last week. Uh, it is water. I did just pour a couple drops in my hand instead of my computer this time. Um, progress, progress. So he says, Scott, I can't make out the shirt this week. So what's the shirt? This is a 21st Amendment uh, brewing shirt from uh, San Francisco. They're, a, they're a brewery out there. They make a hell or high watermelon and a couple of other different things. But I bought this when I was out there because I didn't get to go see Oakland play. And this was kind of like an Oakland A's themed shirt. Um, and I, I wore this in honor of the Oakland A's. <laughs> demise and turning into the las vegas poker faces what's up with vegas just taking all of oakland's teams man i mean this is kind of sad yeah uh wags uh nice carolina Tar Heels shirt where you get it from (laughs) well you know first of all it is a carolina hurricane shirt it is kind of hard to read i understand but it is a carolina hurricane shirt all i see is carolina (laughs) (laughs) can't confirm it says hurricanes (laughs) i would not be wearing a carolina shirt period let alone on this podcast and i'll still answer the second part (laughs) i believe i got it for christmas a couple years back so carolina hurricanes not Carolina Tar Heels. The good Carolina is the Carolina Hurricanes of 3-1. Luckily, there's no game tonight, so I don't have to, you know, double task like I did last week. Maybe that was the issue. I was double tasking. I wasn't locked in. That's why ECU struggled. The belt line will be double tasking tomorrow when the games are at the same time. <laughs> yeah, you got to be where your feet are, Wags. Uh, <laughs> be in the present moment. I mean, earlier in the show, you did – you did refer to the radar gun as a speedometer. So look, <laughs> <laughs> so that may have been a new low for you as a baseball fan. That was a low point. I, I at least corrected myself. I at least caught it. <laughs> and I'm like, but yeah, that, there's no coming back from that one. Yeah. We're waiting on the, the 94 three of the game merch uh, budget to get the WAG speedometer t-shirts going. <laughs> Light up that speedometer. Is it, he's got the big like policeman glasses. Yeah. <laughs> oh man we do need to come up with some merch um 
Bucks on the Pond, 94-3 partnership. We'll have to work on it. And uh, all right, guys, let's let's wrap it up like we always do. Um, as my computer shuts off, let me turn it back on. Um, all right, so ECU, NC State, 6 o'clock on Tuesday, April 25th. That is tomorrow. If you're listening live, that is today. If you're listening to the podcast on Tuesday, ESPNU broadcast, and then the Pirates host Tulane and the Fighting Corey Glores Friday through Sunday. I haven't looked at the weather yet, so I'm not sure if there's any potential inclement weather. Either way, four games. You guys know what we do. We always wrap up the show with a prediction, often wrong predictions, but that's what we're good for. Let's start it with WAGs, and we'll save your bonus prediction for the end like always, but uh, let's hear your game prediction. Well, I... I'm gonna I'm gonna start off with the NC State game, and to me, it's just it's just an, a road game. And I know EC won midweek at Charlotte last week, but after this weekend, I just I I can't I can't pick EC to win. And I don't know, I just struggle to see it, you know. So I'm gonna I'm gonna chalk that one up as, up as a loss. I'm gonna say close loss. I think it's gonna be a not a high scoring game, but maybe in like the the six to five type of range, seven to six type of range, a close game, one run. And over the weekends, I, I do think it will be interesting to see what shakes out with the pitching rotation. I don't expect Trey Savage to start. I would think you might just move everything every day, everyone up a, up a day. Carter Spivey to Friday, Josh Gross to Saturday, Jake Hunter to Sunday would be my prediction. So assuming that's the case, I First of all, I, I, no matter what, even if ECU it was on a 50-game winning streak right now, I would pick Tulane to take a game. It just seems like it always happens. Tulane just always steals one. And I think that's going to be the case again this weekend. I'm going to say it's the Saturday game. I think ECU comes out. I think Spivey's going to pitch well. He's going to bounce back a little bit. I think Josh Gross is going to pitch well. But I don't know, just moving uh, – on a day less of rest, I do think Josh Gross's outing might not be as long. And so it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. But I think two and two week. Lose at NC State and go two and one two lane. So two and two. All right, Scott, your take. Well, we'll be there tomorrow, which is not always the best sign for us. But um I feel like this is very much a tale of two teams that, that really need a midweek game in, in the worst way. Um, State is throwing Sam Highfield. We talked about earlier how they play the Citadel this weekend. They likely will have their best arms available. But we're also playing probably the worst team in our conference. Um, so we should have our best arms available as well. Um, I've watched NC State probably more than any non-ECU team just with family and stuff. You know, I try to keep up with them just so I can talk about it with my father-in-law. Um, I don't know that even with their better weekend arms that they have enough pitching to keep us from scoring. I think the weather is going to be mid to low 60s when the game starts. Um, if it dips below 60, um, you know, maybe it won't happen until late and we can get all of our offense in early. Um, but, yeah, I think we win that game. Um, I think – the one big difference in this road game compared to the other ones we've played is this one's going to be road in front of a crowd and in front of a crowd that cares. Um, and the game is going to matter to everyone in that stadium. Um, 
which in, at Wichita, they had a, a, a decent crowd for their big stadium, but there's, there's a lot of seats there. Houston, obviously not a great crowd. Um, then we go, we play Tulane, um, knowing that we need to start sweeping some of these home weekend series. And I think we do that. So I don't think I thought this coming into the night, but I am going to go four and this week. Mm, bold. <laughs> I, I went four and the last time ECU had a horrible week and they started that week by playing NC state. I just, I had to see them go to Raleigh and win to believe it. I don't think I've covered a game or really watched a game where ECU won at NC state in recent memory. Uh, so I'm going with that as a loss. I do think they will sweep two lane and go three and one. And I actually think East Carolina will lose NC state and then win out in the regular season. Um, that's my bold prediction. Follow that, Wax. 44 wow. and 12. Yeah. I don't think I can. Not 45 and 11, but 44 and 12 will do. <laughs> wow. Wags, all right, let's hear it. All right. So I this is it's a little bit of a different type of prediction. And before, I'm just going to go ahead and say last week, I did predict, I do believe I said an ECU pitcher would take a no hitter into the sixth inning. An ECU pitcher definitely did not do that, but um, Peyton totally did on in Saturday in game one. So it will give me half credit for that as much as I hate it. But this is a weird one. So I do think that this week the offensive inconsistencies are going to not just be a theme, not a theme, but last week's will be a theme in the fact that I think this week is the week you figure it out. And by figuring it out, what I mean by that is I think this is the week where we start to see some experimentation with your starting nine. So two weeks ago, ECU started – there were 10 different position players that started a game, and that includes DH, and that was without JJC. That was the Old Dominion and Cincinnati week, I believe. Ten different position players started a game that week. This past week was 11. JJC returned. You know, Ron McChrystal was a DH. And this week I think it's going to go up even more. I think you might see you might see Nathan Christmas start a game at short. You might see, I don't know, a Dixon Williams. Dixon Williams, I will say he's been taking infield outfield to second base um, the last couple of times I've been out there. And so I, I think you're going to see some different stuff. Riley Johnson, another guy I think will get in. So I'm going to say 13 position players will start a game this week. 11 last week, 10 two weeks ago. I think this week you see 13. And I just think it's time you start throwing stuff at the wall and figure out your offense. I like it, man. Getting creative and <laughs> not going back to the no hitter well or somebody hits a home run well. And so this is a how, how much time did you spend thinking about this one? Well, it actually kind of just came to me yesterday. Or, yeah, it was yesterday. And because I think I texted you guys yesterday. I said my prediction is going to be good this week. And I just, you know, just watching the offense, you know, the frustration kind of built just as a viewer. And I'm like, I think it's time that you start trying stuff out because I think you're at the point in the season you have to. So it kind of came to me naturally. And once I kind of came into it I, today, I spent the time and I counted up and I hope my math is correct. I think it is. Uh, but math isn't always my strong suit, but I do believe that's accurate. So I did the numbers and I kind of looked at who, didn't play this week. Riley Johnson didn't start. Chrisman didn't start. And I think we'll see that up by two, maybe even more. Who knows? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm giving you half credit, by the way, for last week's prediction, just because you called it, you just got the team wrong. So um, just like you called a, 
small outfielder home run with Riley Johnson the previous week and it ended up being Lane Hoover. But uh <laughs> but nah. We'll see, man. Last, if you get this one right, that would be interesting because last predictions always come with a uh, a painful caveat. So you have to be yeah. careful. With it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what this that. one's gonna be. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of worried now. Starters to entry, so they don't come. Yeah, that's. <laughs> Does this mean we're gonna we're gonna yeah. see every pitcher on ECU roster's pitch, and everyone's just not gonna have a have a good day? <laughs> if multiple ECU players get hurt this week, forcing the thirteen <laughs> players to start, I'm gonna ban wag predictions going forward. Somebody's gonna come through that door. <laughs> that's it does look like it's a little cracked. I don't know. <laughs> I did leave a crack today. I should have closed it. Yeah, Once again, I do live alone. If somebody ever does come through that, please let me know because we have a problem. Please <laughs> run. And Scott Lorbacher will be coming through your door if you don't like, <laughs> comment, and subscribe by May 1st. So lock your door uh, or, or just comment and subscribe. subscribe. That would be much easier. Yeah, that was not because, scripted. Believe it or not, everyone. That that was not a scripted segue into there, but I like it. That was that was good. That was creative. We're all being creative tonight. Yeah. In case you don't know, no. we don't have a, a script. Um, <laughs> we, <laughs> Surprise! We definitely don't have a script. Um, we just go by the, the seat of our pants, and that's what makes this podcast great. And let's wrap it up, guys, so we can get some rest. Uh, thank you, guys, to the crowd, to the crowd. What the hell am I talking about? To the to the, the fans. <laughs> to the commenters, whatever we want to refer to you as uh, for, for tuning in, for dropping comments, questions, all that sort of stuff. You guys make the show, as does Scott Lorbacher and Jonathan Wagner. For those guys, I'm Steven Igo. This has been the Hoist the Colors podcast. We'll be back with you next Monday night. Check us out, 94.3 The Game, on Monday at 12 noon, and then get us with the nightcap. It's a doubleheader of Hoist the Colors. Next Monday, Mike Houston at 12. Baseball podcast at nine as we recap ECU's sweep over Tulane. We'll talk to you next weekend, next weekday. <laughs> this is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So, what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. <laughs> Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.